want to say that it certainly has been a great blessing to be with you in this meeting. I appreciate so very much the wonderful kindness that has been shown to me since I arrived yesterday. I especially have enjoyed the sweet fellowship of you, the Lord's people, uh, in between the services, and it's been a delight to hear you sing the songs of Zion this morning. I appreciate so very much the hospitality of the Swindle family to me, uh, and especially am gr grateful for the honor bestowed upon me by your pastor to invite me to come and be with you in this service. Some of the fondest memories that I have in my ministry of 42 years is the meetings that we enjoyed throughout the years here at Vestavia. And I hope that all of you will know that you are in our thoughts and prayers and we thank God upon every remembrance of you for your fellowship in the gospel from the first until now. I'd like to draw your attention to the book of Ephesians chapter 3 and begin to read in verse 14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. <clears throat> the apostle says, for this cause, for this reason, for this purpose, for this cause, the cause of Christ is the greatest cause in the world. The cause that Paul spent his life uh, from the time that he was born of the Spirit, called into the ministry. Paul dedicated his life to this cause. This cause that supersedes any cause you can be involved in in this world. There are a lot of good causes, no doubt, that you can involve yourself in, but there's no greater cause than the cause of Christ. And Paul says, for this cause... I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Bowing the knee, of course, is the ultimate expression of subservience, obeisance, and worship. You remember that the Apostle Paul uh, told the church at Rome that he, he reminded them that the prophet had gone to the Lord and said, Lord, they've killed the prophets. They've digged down the altars. Now that's a terrible situation, isn't it? They killed the preachers and tore down the churches. You say, well, that can never happen. Yes, it can. It has happened many times in the past. Our Baptist forefathers have shed rivers of blood in the cause of Jesus Christ at the hands of not only uh, the, uh, those that profess Christianity, but those who despise the name of Christ. And oftentimes, the two of them will get together, and one will use the other to persecute the people of God. Thus it was when Jesus Christ was crucified, the... Uh, Pharisees and Sadducees induced the Roman government to crucify your Savior. I heard this song one time mentioned, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Everybody was there. The Jews were there, the Gentiles were there, 
we were all there on one side or the other, either being represented by Christ or being persecuted or persecuting Christ. We were all there. All humanity was there. And <clears throat> down through the centuries, the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, you remember in the book of Revelation when the dragon is not able to destroy the babe that is born, uh, the babe that is caught up to heaven, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes and makes war with the woman and with the remnant of her seed. That's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And for 2,000 years, Satan in his uh, murderous rage against Jesus Christ and the fact that he can't touch Jesus, who is at the right hand of God, persecutes the bride of Christ, the church of the Lord Jesus. So don't think that this reference to Elijah the prophet is an ancient uh, history that can never have any effect in your life. It is slowly coming to pass here in this society in which you live. <clears throat> The vilest of sins once demanded toleration. Then they demanded acceptance. Now they demand celebration. You remember what uh, they said to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? You got to fall down and worship. It's not good enough just to pass by while other people do it. You've got to take part in it. And sins so vile that I can't mention them in the pulpit have now been legalized and opposition to it has been criminalized. And though we may have thought it to be absurd to think that Christians could be persecuted in this country, the reality of it is slowly dawning on everyone that yes, it can happen right here. And the persecution of God's people down through the centuries would make the evil that we witnessed uh, in the past uh, culminates in an ultimate effort by Satan to destroy the church. And if it were not for the fact that we have the promise that the Lord said that whenever the world encompassed the camp of the saints about, that's the church, that fire comes down from God out of heaven and devours them. That's where our salvation will come. And so when you read about Elisha the prophet saying, Lord, they've killed the prophets, that's not ancient history. History repeats itself and will repeat itself because Satan doesn't have any new way of doing things. He just repackages it. He just makes it new and improved in people's mind, but it's the same old hatred of the Lord Jesus Christ and his people. So Elijah said, Lord, they've killed the prophets. They've digged down the altars, which that's the Old Testament version of the New Testament equivalent. Lord, they've killed the ministers and they've tore down the church buildings. And he said, and I'm left alone. I'm the only one left, Lord. They get me. Your whole uh, worship, the truth is going to be snuffed out. It's down to just me, Lord. I'm left alone. And they seek my life. Lord, I'm the only one left and they're after me. Oh, you say, oh, poor old brother Elijah. I know the Lord must have reached down and said, now Elijah, bless your sweetheart. You're doing a good job, brother. No, the Lord's, what was the answer of God? Elijah, I've reserved unto myself 7,000 men that have not bowed their knee to the image of Baal. I've reserved 7,000 people that refuse to bow down whenever the horn and the psaltery is played to the image. I've reserved 7,000 men who have not bowed down to the image of Baal. I've reserved 7,000 men who will not participate in the worship of Satan in the person of Baal. And Paul said, even so then at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. My friends, I'm happy to tell you as a minister of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that because of God's sovereign grace, there'll be somebody somewhere in this world when the Lord comes back that have not bowed their knee to the image of Baal. 
that he's reserved a people, a remnant who refuse to bow down to the images that this world does craft. And I take great comfort in that, don't you? I, I tell you, I, 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 it, when it came down to it, if they were after me, I, don't, I know myself well enough to know that uh, I probably wouldn't make the grade. But I'm not tr trusting and depending upon my faithfulness to the kingdom of God to keep it going. I, I'm trying to be faithful to it. I've dedicated my life to it, to the cause of Christ. But uh, thank God it's not dependent on me. But I'm trusting in the fact that God has reserved a people that will not bow down. That he's reserved them to himself that will not bow their knee to the image of Baal. They want to do obeisance to it. They won't worship it. They will not submit to it. You remember the Bible tells us that at the end of time, what will happen? Paul gets carried away over there in the book of Philippians about how that the Lord Jesus Christ, though he came down, 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 and took upon himself the form of a servant, that now, and, and, gave, and he, he submitted himself to death itself, that God has what? Highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every what? Every knee should bow. And every tongue shall con should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. My friends, I'm happy to tell you that one day every Jewish knee, every Hindu knee, every Buddhist knee, every humanist knee, every, sec every uh, humanist secularist knee, every... Uh, Christian knee, every communist knee, every knee shall bow. Everybody in this whole world, the whole entire human race is going to bow their knee and they're going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. They may oppose it down here, they may hate it down here, but one day they'll have to admit it before they're cast in the lake of fire. Every knee shall bow. Every single, every single atheist knee shall bow. Isn't that glorious to think about? Everybody that's ever denied the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, their knee's going to bow to the truth of it one day. That Jesus Christ is Lord. Now you and I voluntarily, happily confess it. But I'm telling you, whether you do it voluntarily or involuntarily, one day on the glorious day of judgment, God Almighty is going to see to it that every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess. Paul said, for this cause, I bow my knees. Notice the plural. I bow my knees. It's total obeisance. It's total subservience. It's total submission. It's total worship. It's total commitment. For this cause, I bow my knees. You know, we're living in a world of half-committed, uncommitted people. People that are halfway committed to their jobs. I heard about this new thing among young people called quiet quitting at work. I mean, come on. How much longer can any society stand with that kind of attitude? Oh, my friends, we're living in a half-committed, quiet quitting Christian world, aren't we? <laughs> Many Christians have quietly quitted. They just do just enough to get by from being turned out, you know. But don't ask me to do too much, Brother Lonnie. Oh, thank God that there's a remnant that's still committed to the cause of Christ. Paul was totally committed, completely 100% committed. What about you today? You say, well, Brother Lonnie, I, I don't mind being committed, but I don't want to be, a, you know, I don't want to be a, 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 a fanatic about it. Well, look, I want to tell you something. If you'll drive to Atlanta, Georgia and fight traffic for eight hours and walk through the rain and go inside and scream and holler for two hours while Georgia whoops up on... Ohio State, you'll be called a fan. But if you go around two blocks to get to church, you'll be called a fanatic. My friends, you're not being a fanatic to be totally committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's totally committed to you. He was totally committed to you whenever he walked up Calvary's mountain. He, it's simply the bride being committed to her husband who's totally committed to her. Paul said, for this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Whose father is, who's Jesus Christ's father? The Lord. God. For this cause I bow my knees unto the father of the Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. What family is he talking about? The elect family. 
Part of the elect family of God's in heaven right now. Part of it's still on the earth. You're part of that elect family. You're still on the earth, but part of that elect family has already died and gone on to be with the Lord. But the whole family of God in heaven and earth is named by God the Father with the name of her Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember back there in the Old Testament, the Bible tells us that the name of the Lord is the Lord, our righteousness, and that's in all caps. His name shall be called the Lord, our righteousness. You read on a few more verses and you'll find out that her name The name of Israel, the name of God's people, the name of Jerusalem is the Lord our righteousness. Guess what? The bride took the groom's name. (laughs) In other words, that's your name of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And he said, and I want you to know that's the elect family of God. It's important to understand that when Paul is talking here, he's not talking to dead sinners telling them how to get eternal life. As a matter of fact, he's... (laughs) It, but we're already deep into the thir- toward the end of the third chapter. He, listen, in the first chapter, he tells them they're the elect of God. You remember that familiar scripture? According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love, having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. You remember that, don't you? He's telling you that you're God's chosen people. God chose you before the world began and he's redeemed you by the blood of his son in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. I tell you what, I'm going to preach on the book of Zechariah one day whenever I, if y'all let me come back. I still can't remember what chapter this is in, but I promise you in the book of Zechariah, whenever they say, behold, thy king cometh, those people right there are, are, are there by the blood. They, 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 the prisoners come out of the pit by the blood. And I want to tell you that what brought you out of the pit of depravity was the blood of your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, thy King, that came into Jerusalem riding on a colt, the fold of an ass. Anyway, don't, don't spend time looking for it. You can do that after I get through preaching. Stick with me. All right, now back to the ranch. <laughs> The Lord Jesus Christ's blood in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. There's the double portion that you'll find there in the book of Zechariah when you read about that. The double portion that God's people receive is first of all they receive eternal redemption through his blood. And here in time they receive the forgiveness of sins. And it's all according to the riches of God's grace. Isn't that glorious? No wonder he talked about to the praise of the glory of his grace. How glorious is the grace of God? We'll spend all of our lives in eternity, bragging on the grace of God. Oh, how glorious it'll be. Oh, how wonderful it'll be. I can't wait to get there, can you? I just don't want to go through that part that you have to go through to get there. I, but I, you know, somebody told me one time, so why are you flying, you know, if you, if you crash, you're going to go to heaven. I said, well, it's not the crashing part. It's the part from up there down to the crash part that I, that, that I don't want to go through. I don't mind going to heaven, but it's that other part that I don't want to have to go through. The point is simply this, that in whom we have, you remember back in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, it says, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God, speak ye comfortably unto Jerusalem, and crying to her that what? Her warfare is accomplished. I'm happy to tell you as a minister of the gospel that your warfare, the warfare of your soul, the battle for your soul was fought and won. It's accomplished. And her iniquity is pardoned. And she hath received double at the hand of the Lord for all of her sins. The Lord didn't bless you to receive eternal salvation only he's given you forgiveness right here in this time world that's a double portion for all of your sins oh isn't that wonderful the whole family in heaven and earth this family is the elect family of God the redeemed family of God over there in the second chapter he tells you that how you became the elect why Jesus died for you and redeemed you is by the grace of God. He tells you that you, he quickened you when you were dead in sin. For by grace are you saved. That glorious verse that primitive Baptists know from heart. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves is the gift of God. Not of works lest any man should boast. If you get nothing else out of the Bible. You need to get that. Because once you get that. You'll be a primitive Baptist. You're ruined for everybody else. <laughs> because it says it's grace alone. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not of works lest any man should boast. The whole reason why salvation is by grace is to keep people from bragging about what they did to get saved. Lest any man should boast. There's nobody going to be boasting in heaven about how many souls they helped get to heaven. They're not even going to be boasting about getting themselves to heaven. We're all going to be bragging, praising on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
all right? So first chapter, he tells you you're chosen, redeemed. The second chapter, he tells you it was all by God's grace. And here we are in the third chapter. So don't tell me we're talking about dead sinners trying to get eternal life here. We're talking about God's elect, born again by the grace of God. He's telling them that for this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. He says that, and what, 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 is, what is Paul seeking? That he would grant you. Grant who? The non-elect? No. The wicked? No. The unregenerate elect? You say, what's an unregenerate elect? It's what a God's elect who hadn't been born again yet. No, he's talking about the elect who have been born again by the grace of God. He's talking to them. That he would grant you. Now, don't, 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 don't get worried. All the elect are going to be born again before they leave this world. Don't, you don't have to worry about getting that done. You know, preachers just cannot stand the fact that the Lord won't help him, help them. You know, the Lord just will not let them help him. And it drives them nuts. And so some of them will say, well, I don't believe that you have to hear the gospel in order to get saved. But somehow the gospel is present when you got saved. Listen, they just can't stand to be left out. They got to find some way to get themselves in there. And they're not there. It's all grace. The preachers that's coming along behind what already happened to tell you about it. And that drives preachers crazy. Some preachers crazy. They cannot stand to be left out of the work of salvation. And so they say, well, I believe the gospel is the means by which God saves the elect. Show me that in the scripture. You cannot find it. I can show you a place where God saves people that don't believe the gospel in the scripture. Romans chapter 11, if I had time and you had the patience, we could spend all day in Romans chapter 11. It's a glorious book, chapter. And it tells you how that the Lord saves people. As a matter of fact, the Lord, Paul gets so carried away showing that salvation is by grace. He says, finally, he just says, God has concluded us all in unbelief that he might have mercy on all. I'm going to show you salvation for unbelievers. I'm not advocating unbelief, but I'm telling you that God saves his people by free and sovereign grace. It's not up to their faith. It's up to his faithfulness. But i got to stick to my subject or we'll never get through. All right, so, so what, he said, what I'm telling you is, is that he's not talking to dead and sinners and he's not talking to God's elect who haven't been born again, yet he's talking to God's elect who have been born of the Spirit of God who are members of the church there at Ephesus and he's saying that God would grant you, you that are committed to this cause, that God would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Now, what's he talking about being strengthened by the spirit with might in the inner man? What's he talking about? Now, understand that this book was written uh, before the woke movement came along. So it says inner man, but everybody that had any sense at all could understand it means inner person. It's not, it's not just talking about males only. It's talking about women, children. The inner man is the inner person. You know, if you're a man or a woman, you apply it to yourself. People used to have sense enough to do that, you know. Okay. And he's talking about strengthening the inner man. What does he mean, the inner man? It means, the, it means that part of you that's born again. That part of you that loves the Lord. That part of you that loves to go to church. That part of you that loves to read the Bible and learn about the Lord Jesus Christ. That part of you that loves to do things for God's people. That part of you that loves to serve the Lord. That part of you that loves to do good instead of bad and right instead of wrong, that's the inner man. What is, what is the part of you that doesn't care about church? What is the part of you that loves the world and the things that are in the world? What is the part of you that likes to do wrong and doesn't like to do right? What is the part of you that's get, that you've got to drag to church if you get there? It's the outer man. It's the old human nature. It's the old flesh. Paul's not telling you you need to strengthen the old outer man. The Lord tells you you need to crucify the flesh. You don't need to do anything to strengthen the old human nature. Uh, Isaac Watts, who wrote Amazing Grace, that saint of God toward the end of his ministry said that if, it, if the grace of God lets go of me for one moment, 
I'll revert back to the monster that I was. I understand exactly what that man was saying. There is a monster in you. There is a monstrous, depraved human. There's a monstrous person in, that, in your old outer human. Paul said it this way. I know that in me, and then he qualifies it, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. There's nothing good about it. So you can't reform it. You can't fix it. All you can do is crucify it. Okay? Paul's praying that they would be strengthened in the inner man, the spiritual part of you, the spiritual person, the spiritual man. They're not talking to dead sinners telling them how to get life here. <laughs> I, I, one of my all-time favorite expressions by Elder Sonny Piles was, if you don't know I'm a primitive Baptist by now, you at least know I'm leaning in that direction. I'm not trying to tell you that this is what you do to get life. Paul's not talking about that. He's talking to committed Christians at Ephesus saying, this is what I want for you. And I want to tell you, this is what I want for you this morning. That God would, by his spirit, strengthen you with might and that you would be stronger in your spiritual nature than you are in your old carnal nature. That your old carnal nature would get weaker and your spiritual nature would get stronger. That you'd be strengthened, how? With might by his spirit. The only thing that can strengthen this spiritual man is the Holy Spirit. That's how it's strengthened. You with me? Don't, don't, lose, don't, don't let me lose you. This is important. The way this inner person inside of you that loves the Lord and wants to do right is strengthened is by the Holy Spirit. Strengthened by might. By his spirit. With might, with might, that means with ability, with power, by his spirit in the inner man. Do you know I need that to preach? Your pastor needs that to preach? Paul said, my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Somebody asked me one time, what's the difference between the Lord blessing you to preach and not blessing you to preach? And I said, the difference between day and dark. Day and dark, because whenever the Lord's not with me, I can't, even, I can't even tell you that there's not 19 chapters in the book of Zechariah. I mean, I get that confused. But when the Lord's with me, it just flo- it, 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 every minister of the gospel that's called of God will tell you that. That when the Lord's with them, they'd rather preach than eat or do anything. But when the Lord's not with them, they'd rather be whipped, beaten. It'd be a lot easier just to get it over with. What I'm trying to tell you is, is that without the Holy Spirit, I can't preach. You can't even receive what I'm trying to preach. You've got to have the Spirit to get the message. I'm trying to tell you. It's in demonstration of the Spirit. The power comes from the Spirit. And we need it in our daily lives as Christians. If we're going to face the challenges of being Christians, we've got to be strengthened every day with might by His Spirit in the inner man. You cannot listen to me. I'm not. Y'all know me by now. I'm, I, I wouldn't lecture anybody on how to live. I'm, I'm a total failure in my life. I'm not trying to set. I, but I'm telling you, just, I'm just telling you a fact. You cannot spend your day looking at social media and watching TV and absorbing the news feed and, 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 and be strong in the Lord. You can't do it. You have got to turn that stuff off. I'm not telling you to become a hermit behind a wall on a mountaintop. I'm telling you that you you need to be in the world, but not of the world. You need to understand that it's all right for a boat to be in the water, but when the water starts getting in the boat, you need to understand that, no, you cannot isolate yourself from this world, but you can insulate yourself from this world. But you've got to make up your mind who you're going to commit yourself. What cause are you committed to? Are you committed to the cause of pleasure, distraction? You know what this world's doing every day, every single day? They're trying to distract themselves from the reality that they're living in. Whether it be through sports, entertainment, pleasure, uh, whatever, whatever they can come up with. They're trying to distract themselves from having to think about the reality of life. 
You can't, you, 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 you can't do that and be strong in the Lord. You've got to accept reality. But when you accept reality, you accept it in the light of what God's word says about reality. That not this world, but the next world is the ultimate reality. All right, look. He says, if you're going to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Now, I don't have time to spend a lot on this, but suffice it to say that I hope I've proved to you by now that he's not talking about Christ dwelling in your hearts by grace. God, Christ dwells in the hearts of all his elect by grace. Whenever the Holy Spirit gives eternal life to one of God's elect, Christ takes up his abode in their heart by grace. That can happen to a, one of God's elect living in China or India or Mongolia or Africa or South America or North America. It can happen to somebody living in Europe. Wherever God's elect are, whether they be behind the sand dunes of the Muslim mullah or whether they be behind the iron curtain of communism or whether they be right here in the secular humanist culture in which we live, wherever that person is, if they are one of God's elect, when God is ready to give them eternal life, the Holy Spirit enters their heart by free and sovereign grace and Christ takes up his abode in their heart by grace. But he's not talking about Christ dwelling in your hearts by grace here. He's talking to Christians, telling them how Christ can dwell in your heart by faith. Okay? And what he's telling you is, is that this is an experience that God has for you. And Paul is committed to this cause. Now listen. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love, no plant is going to be any better than the ground it's planted in. And if you, where do you need to be rooted and grounded? You say, well, I need to be rooted and grounded in um, theology. I need to go to, to school and learn all I can about theology. Where, where do you need to be rooted and grounded? You need to be rooted and grounded in something as basic and simple as love. Love is the secret of the universe. The world knows nothing about it. Because love is not lust. The world thinks love is lust. That's what the world portrays love to be, lust. And, and it's not love because the ultimate object of that is self. I'm attracted to something because I'm, it's going to reciprocate something back to me. That's not what love is. The object of love. Whenever it comes to God loving his people, what in them could they reciprocate back that God wanted? God committed this love toward us, and while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. There is nothing in us that was attractive. The Lord said, whenever I passed by thee and saw thee, I saw thee polluted in thy own blood. And he said, it was a time of love. And I spread my skirt over thee. The Lord did not spread his skirt over that dead child lying and polluted in its own blood out in the field to the loathing of its person. In other words, he didn't love you and your ruined condition because you deserved it or there was something attractive about you. He loved you because of free and sovereign grace. That's what love is. Love is loving something that can't reciprocate back. You remember what the Bible tells you in 1 Corinthians chapter 13? Charity, what? Never faileth. The word charity does not mean love. I've heard people, oh, well, the translator should have translated that. Agape, love. Listen, if somebody can't pull the wool over your eyes in English, don't let them try it in Greek. All right? Understand that if the, if the, if the Lord wanted that to say love, it would have said love. It says charity for a reason. Because you can do something for somebody that you love and they not appreciate it and you'll get your feelings hurt about it. You can do something for somebody that you love and they even be mean back to you after you were good to them and you can get mad at them about it. But charity never fails. Because you know why? Because you didn't do it for them. You did it not because you loved them. You did it because you loved God. You see the difference in charity and love? Charity exceeds love this way. It's not just love. 
It's not filio love. It's not a God. It's not just some love that you find uh, uh, among people. It's love for God. And if I do something because I love God, if I do something for you because I love God, I don't care if you appreciate it or not. It doesn't hurt my feelings if you don't do something back or even acknowledge it. Because I didn't do it because of you. I did it because I love God. So I can, I can hold the door open for somebody at the, at the store and they not even acknowledge me as they walk by. And I don't say, well, who do they think they are? Why didn't they say, you know, or you tell somebody, you, go, you can go ahead and go ahead of me. And they go ahead and go ahead of you and they don't wave and say thank you. Well, they didn't, they didn't appreciate. Listen, that's because you didn't do it for the right reason. If you do something for somebody because you love God, it doesn't matter. Now, if they appreciate it, that's great. That's gravy, as they say in the South. But you don't have to have it. Because your satisfaction, your fulfillment came because you did it because you loved the Lord. I've done things for people that it was a great sacrifice for me to be able to do it for them. And they, not only did they not acknowledge it, they were mean to me. And that used to frustrate me. Until one day the Lord said to me, the reason you're frustrated is because you're not, you're not doing it for the right reason. You need to do it because you love me or don't do it at all. Charity, it never fails. It never fails. You know why? Because whenever Jesus Christ went up Calvary's mountain, he didn't stop and say, well, if y'all don't appreciate this, I'm going to go back to heaven. He went anyway. And he went all the way. And he did it while there were those of his children that stood there. And, and I, want, I want to tell you, people say, well, I, I think you should, you should be everybody, you know, free will. We should be given a choice. Look, man was given a choice of the Garden of Eden. He chose wrong. The Jews were given a choice between Jesus and Barabbas. They chose wrong. Do you really want to choose? No. Thank God the choice is not in your hands, it's in God's hands. Jesus did not die for us because we would appreciate it like we ought to. Jesus didn't die for us because we deserved it. Jesus died for us because he was devoted to his Father who had sent him to do it. You see that? He was committed to the covenant. All right, now, he loved you with an everlasting love and therefore Nothing can separate you from that love. All right. That's the kind of love that Paul wants you to be rooted in. The kind of love that loves God so much that it doesn't matter if somebody appreciates what you do. Somebody shows kindness toward you if you show kindness. In other words, it doesn't look for anything to reciprocate from, what you, from the object of the, of the blessing. It looks, to, it looks to show love to God. And why do we love God? Because he first loved us. All right. That's the, you want to be rooted and grounded in that kind of love. May that ye being rooted and grounded in love, once you get rooted and grounded in that, in that kind of love, the love that God has for his people, he said, then that being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. And to know... He's about to tell you that he wants you to know, he's committed to a cause, and that cause is for you to know something that can't be known. And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge. And he said, What's that? what does that even mean? It means this. It means that you have an experience with something that you cannot describe. It's to know the love of Christ. <laughs> to know the love of Christ, he says, And to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. You can't, have you ever been in church and, you, and the Holy Spirit was so present with you and you were rejoicing in the truth? I would to God it would happen right at this moment so it would illustrate what I'm trying to say. Have you ever been so close to the Lord and, and, and you tried to tell somebody else about it and you just couldn't describe it? You knew it, you experienced it, but you couldn't comprehend it. That's God. You experience God. You experience 
the God of love. And it was a, it's a pearl of great price to you. And you can't, and, and the swine of this world don't understand it. You try to explain to them why that you'd rather be in the house of God on New Year's Day than any other place on earth. And they're like, what in the world is wrong with you? Because they don't understand. They don't comprehend something that you've experienced to know the love of Christ. He said, well, how can you know something if you can't comprehend it? Well, do you think a baby comprehends the phone number, address, IP address of its mother? Do you think a baby knows its mother? See, you can know the love of God without being able to comprehend the love of God. It passeth knowledge. It passes the ability to comprehend. But does that make you not want it? Elder Harold Hunt, one of the greatest minds that have ever lived among the primitive Baptists, one of the greatest men of God I've ever known, Elder Harold Hunt said, <clears throat> Elder Harold Hunt, this great man of God said, if, in order to know what a pecan pie tastes like, all you got to do is take one mouthful and you know what the whole pie tastes like. But does, does that mean you don't want another piece? <laughs> all right. Someone said, well, I can't know the love of God. It passes knowledge, so I just don't want to know anything about it. No. The more you know, the more you want to know. The more you experience the love of God, the more you want to experience the love of God. Yeah, have you ever done something nice for somebody and you had a warm feeling, just a warm sense of well-being? You know where that came from? The Spirit of God. Not some chemical reaction in your brain. The world wants you to believe that you're nothing more than just a collision of chemicals and electricity. And, and, and you have no, listen, I'm telling you, you've got a soul. And if you're a child of God, born of the Spirit, you've got a spiritual soul. And whenever you do something good for somebody, people say, I did that out of the goodness of my heart. My friend, stop doing things out of the goodness of your heart and do it out of the goodness of God's heart. Do it because you love the Lord. And, it'll, and that good feeling is just simply the evidence that the Holy Spirit approved of what you did. Oh, I wish I had time to preach. And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might, that ye might be filled... See, once you experience the love of God this way, by once Christ, Christ doesn't just dwell in your intellect, He doesn't just dwell in your heart by grace, He dwells in your heart by faith. You embrace the truth that is in your soul. When you hear the gospel, you believe it. Whenever you come to the knowledge of the truth, when you understand the grace of God, the love of God, listen, whenever you comprehend with all saints the height, Breadth, length, depth, how's it go? The breadth and length and depth and height. When you comprehend that with all saints and, and you know the love of God, Christ, which passeth knowledge, the love of Christ, what kind of love did it take for him to go up Calvary's mountain and allow them to crucify him and to give his life? The eternal God to lay down his life for the sheep. To know the love of Christ that passeth knowledge that you might be, that, that what? What happens? That you might be filled with all, are you listening to these words? That you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Do you realize what that says? That you, you committed believer out there, you committed Christian, you can be filled with all the fullness of God. You say, well, Brother Lonnie, now look. Now, I, I get getting happy in church every once in a while, but this filled with all the fullness of God, that's, that's just way, that just, that's not possible. That just can't happen. Now, Brother Lonnie, you're preaching something that's nice for preachers to talk about on Sunday afternoon. But it, it, it's not reality. You're not, you're not out here in this world. You're not out here in this rat race. I feel with the fullness of God. Most of the time I'm filled with anger. I'm filled with resentment. I'm filled with rage. I'm filled with, uh, you know, I'm filled with politics. <laughs> you know, I, I'm filled with uh, Fox. <laughs> I'm getting a little warm in here, isn't it? I'm filled up with what the world, you know, t they know what will get you riled up. 
I'm filled up with the news. I'm filled up with the world. I'm filled up with my job. I'm filled up. There's no way I could be filled with the fullness of God. That's not possible, Brother Lonnie. You're just preaching a pipe dream. Well, that would be true, except these, there's two more verses to this chapter. And listen to what they say. Listen to them now. Now to him that is able. You think I'm preaching something that's beyond the realm of possibility? We're, we're talking about somebody that is able to do what? Exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. You think that it's impossible for you to be filled with all the fullness of God? God is able to do exceeding abundantly above that. You say, I don't, how can that be? How can there be anything more than that? My friends, that's God. You're never going to get to the end of God. You're never going to get God figured out. You're never going to experience all there is to know of God. God is the more you know, the more you want to know, and the more you realize you don't know. I love this illustration. This book is like an ocean. You can swim, you can snorkel around on the surface, or you can dive deep. And you'll see things when you dive deep that you didn't see snorkeling around up here on the surface. And you, you can snorkel around on the surface by reading one or two verses every blue moon when you've got nothing else to do. Or you can dive into this book. And the more you see, the more you realize you haven't seen. Because you could spend your lifetime snorkeling around the Atlantic Ocean and never see but a fraction of it. And I'm going to tell you, you can spend your lifetime studying this book. And, and you know what you realize when you get through studying it? The half has not yet been taught. There is more. The more I know, the more I realize I don't know. And just in case you think you know, the Apostle Paul comes along and says, Now to him that thinketh he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing as he ought to know. You think you know something, you don't know, any, you don't know it the way you ought to know it. You think it's good down here, whoo, wait till you get up there. Oh, my friends, I wish I had time to preach. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. I'm not preaching a pipe dream today. I'm telling you about a God that is able to do exceeding abundantly. If you'll just by faith ask him for it. Just say, Lord, help me to be rooted and grounded in love. Lord, help me to comprehend with all saints the love of Christ that passeth the knowledge. Lord, help me to be committed to the cause Help me to bow my knee to thee voluntarily every day. Lord, help me to be filled with all your fullness. How does God do that? Through the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit. You'll find people all through the Bible who are filled with the Spirit. And you know what they do? They praise God. They praise God every time. That's what it's all about is being filled with the Spirit that you might praise the God who saved you by his grace. Now to him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to what? How does he do it? According to the power that worketh where? In us. It's working in us. That's how you got regenerated is because this power worked in you. That power is working to keep you saved. You know, people say, oh, I believe in once saved, always saved. You know what that implies? Once we get you saved, whew, we don't have to worry about keeping you saved. I'm going to tell you something. Listen, God's elect who were dead in trespasses and in sin, whenever God saves them, he'll keep them saved. All right? God Almighty doesn't need your help. That's what the preachers can't stand. It drives them nuts. They're always trying to worm their way into helping God and get people to heaven. I want to tell you, child of God, every minister of the gospel that's ever been worth this salt had one purpose and one purpose only, to proclaim the good news of what Christ has already done. All right, now listen. Now unto him that's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think of the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory. If you're in it for your glory, knock yourself out. You're going to get knocked out. But if you're in it for God's glory, my friend, it, through flood, flame, fire, good times and bad, you'll be like old Elijah. You'll be like those 7,000 men. You will not bow your knee. They may take your job away. They may burn your home down. They may be, put graffiti on your car because you're a committed Christian. But my friend, they may even throw you in jail one day for it. Or worse. But like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego of old, 
no matter what, you will not bow your knee to the image of Baal because your knee's already been bowed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you proclaim that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now unto him, unto him be glory. Where? In the church. That's why you ought to go to church because that's where God wants his glory. In the church. Unto him be glory in the church. And how does God get glory in the church? By Christ Jesus. That's how he gets it. Through what Christ did, through proclaiming what Christ did, we give glory to the, to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You remember how it started up there? For this cause I give thanks unto who? The Father of my Lord Jesus Christ. And how does the Father get glory? By the Lord Jesus Christ. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. Through it, how long? Throughout all ages. Throughout all ages, world without end. It's just going to keep going on and on and on. It's never going to end. If that, if, if that makes you, if you're, if you're a narcissist, it, that, that might bother you. But if you love the Lord and you're a poor sinner saved by grace and your hope is in Jesus, that makes you happy. You say, I want to join in. I want to do it. I'm not, I don't always do it like I want. Like I, want. I don't always accomplish the task as a matter of fact my best efforts are tainted with my failure but oh I want to do it I want to give glory to God in the church by Jesus Christ by talking about Jesus preaching Jesus singing to Jesus bragging on Jesus praising Jesus Jesus Christ is Lord and that gives God the glory his, his father the glory unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages world without end not only are we doing it this morning my friend but we're going to do it in all eternity the difference is up there we'll do it perfectly. Up there we'll do it perfectly. I'm not talking to you about a pipe dream. I'm not talking to you about an unreachable goal. I'm talking to you about something that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think. May God bless you is my prayer.